You can bring all your favorite tools, your technology stack, whatever you're using currently, and then just let Enterflow connect them all together. So your data is in one spot. And with one platform and one login, residential solar providers, whether you're a sales org or an EPC, an engineering procurement construction firm, can offer a seamless experience, not only for their team, but for the customer. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. The podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar developer and consulting firm. I'm excited on the podcast to have Nathan Giovanelli. He's the head of business development at Enerflow. Enerflow is a platform for solar sales and operations. Enerflow creates the most unified sales and fulfillment experience for solar dealers, installers, and solar buyers. Enerflow creates efficiencies from lead to PTO to grow solar business. As a true open platform, the company invites you to bring your favorite tools. Enerflow, connect them all together. Enerflow stands for energy flow, or basically the energy consumption or production of a home. Enerflow was founded in 2019 and has grown its professional team and customer base fast, already processing $2 billion in solar transactions to date, which is amazing. I appreciate Nate making the time on the podcast. He's a thought leader and influencer and friend in the industry. And this is actually his fifth time being on the podcast. He recently started working at Enerflow and he was at IGS Solar before that, which is a large owner of residential solar and commercial industrial solar. There are a lot of interesting topics that Nate talks about in the podcast. He talks about how lowering soft costs is the next big thing in solar, how soft costs will go down over time how his company, Enerflow, is helping companies lower their soft costs and how their software simplifies the solar process. He talks about how we as an industry should be one unified voice when it comes to speaking to politicians regarding legislation. Also, he talks about trends that he's seeing in solar and predictions. Nate will be attending RE+, which is a conference in the end of February in Boston. So definitely, if you're interested in meeting him, you know, reach out to him. We'll have his contact information on the notes of the podcast. He also provides his contact information as well during the interview. I really appreciate you listening to the Solar Maverick podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to have Nate Giovanelli. Nate's actually been on the podcast now five times. So I'm not going to call you a guest. I'm going to call you a co-host because you've been on the podcast enough. I really appreciate your thought leadership in the industry and you know talking about what you're doing now, which is you're now the head of business development for Enerflow. And it's a really exciting like opportunity. It'd be great to learn about you know what you've been up to and then get your always great perspective. So Nate, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I always have a blast. I'm honored that called me a co-host. I'm gonna have to think of like a cool <laughs> nickname, right? I guess you're not the solar maverick, right? The listeners are the mavericks. <laughs> yes. So I don't Everyone's a solar maverick, according to me. <laughs> All our listeners, you are a maverick, I'm a maverick, you know, anyone in the solar industry, because I believe you have to have a maverick personality to be successful in an industry that's like changing dramatically and exponentially. And it's exciting. It's going to be changing even faster the next few years, like going to 2030. And part of your journey, right, starting in 2022 with your new role at Enerflow, can you talk about the company and what made you decide to transition? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So Enerflow is a solar sales enablement platform. 
And it really creates, it's meant to create efficiencies from lead to PTO just so you can help grow your residential solar business. And what my favorite thing about it is that it's an open platform, which means you can bring all your favorite tools, your technology stack, whatever you're using currently, and then just let Enterflow connect them all together so your data is in one spot. And with one platform and one login, residential solar providers, whether you're a sales org or an EPC, an engineering procurement construction firm, can offer a seamless experience, not only for their team, but for the customer. And I just think that's something that's been lacking in the industry. I know I've talked about it on other podcast episodes I've been on with you about how one of the big challenges is cancellation rates. And the best way to get that cancellation rate down, I think, is to have that seamless customer experience because it is a long sales process. By the time you sell it and then it's actually energized, depending on your market, can easily be over 120 days or more. And obviously, you know, on the West Coast and Texas, and there are markets that are much faster than that. But generally speaking, it's a much longer process than, say, going to, you know, Best Buy and picking out a TV and then you get home and it's on your wall and you're excited. Like you're excited about solar and then you're sitting around and even day 14, right? Yeah. And it hasn't been permitted yet or whatever. And you're just kind of wondering, when is this going to happen? The excitement starts to fade, right? And that buyer's remorse maybe is creeping in. So to that end, one of my favorite things too about it, besides being an open platform, it does have a customer portal that just adds that layer of transparency for the customer and really slick how they set it up. Customer just has to click a link, they don't have to log in and they can see exactly where they're at in the process or they can chat directly with the rep and ask them questions. And then whether they like to do it via text or email, you know, depending on the customer, they have that option. And then on the contractor side, that keeps a log in the software. In Enterflow, it'll have a log of all those interactions, which is, again, I think it's just something that's missing currently in the industry. Yeah, definitely. That's huge. Like that transparency and an open platform and obviously the opportunity to reach out to understand how long it's going to take and where they are is a really big opportunity. Can you talk about how the company was like bounded? How did that idea come up? I know you've mentioned it in our previous podcast, but how did the two co-founders of Enterflow come up with the idea or how did they see that there was a need in the market for that? The two founders are Pat and Spencer, the dynamic duo. Pat's really good at coding and building things, and Spencer's really good at selling and specifically selling solar. So I think it was a, sort of a perfect marriage. They found the company, I want to say, in about two years, you know, I would say they had a real product for about two years, 18 months, somewhere in there. Yes. But the growth, it's really been a testament to how good the product is and the value they're adding and the need they're solving for. Because just in the last 12 months, there's been $2 billion residential deals that were sold through Enterflow. Mm -hmm. So those are deals that are loans with various loan providers that were financed on the platform. So 15,000 users, it's about 50,000 deals. That's a pretty significant market share in a very short amount of time. Yeah, that is pretty amazing to hear that. And I know like in the pre-interview, you were really impressed with their demo. And then you built a relationship with the company. That's pretty impressive because I know you've been in the solar space for a very long time. You've seen a lot of software being demoed. So that's really impressive that you were very interested in their product and then added value to them now working with them. That's pretty much how it happened. I got referred to them through mutual friend in the industry and somebody I admire greatly. He said, hey, you should check this out and kind of felt like at that point, <laughs> I feel like I've seen everything at this point, you know. Yes. So that was back in March. 
So it's been almost a year. And at first, just like a video demo, it was almost like somebody took it on their cell phone. It wasn't directly from them. I would liken it to one of those pirated videos that you can get <laughs> online where there's like people eating popcorn and standing up in the middle of the movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh, wow, this is really neat. I scheduled a call with them. And what I saw was that in my time experience in solar, there's always been this gap in the market. And I think I kind of touched on it when I was talking about Interflow, but there's been this gap. And when I was at IGS, a lot of our installation partners sort of had the same kind of complaints. And as we were building out IGS's system, you know, we wanted to be super easy or laser focused on being the easiest TPO provider, which is a third-party owner, so lease PPA, to transact with. And that's what we were laser focused on. So we didn't build like a proposal tool by design. We didn't do those things on purpose. But the gap in the market was that solar dealers or sales orgs or installers on average can use, you know, upwards of 10 different pieces of software throughout the customer's journey from lead to permission to operate where the system's actually operating. And while each of them do their own thing, and all of them are important in their own way, the consequences of not having all your data in one spot, it kind of goes without saying, right? I mean, you have all these different things, like you get your lead in this app and you have to move it into your CRM and then you got to request a design from a different app and you can just go down the line and understand how that's kind of clunky and you can kind of lose sight of things along the way and it prevents departments from getting information real time, right? Not everyone's looking at the same data and you could have five Five different logins, which drives inefficiency, user error, because you got to re-enter data, obviously, longer install times, which we talked about, you know, the whole idea is having that seamless flow and getting customer installed, happy, so that they can make referrals. What I liked about Enterflow, it struck me instantly, is, wow, this is a piece that's been missing. And the fact that it's open is one of my favorite things because we're really financier agnostic. We're technology agnostic. You don't want to use this design tool anymore. No problem. Drop in this one, yes. right? You don't want to use this CRM anymore. No problem. Drop in that one. And it's not a disruption to your whole business where if it were like a product suite, then it's really hard to leave, right? Because you might have your CRM, your design tool all in one company and it's their proprietary product suite. And it's like, well, they're really good at designs, but their CRM's terrible. And then you're kind of stuck, right? Or maybe they used to have a really good CRM and they just didn't keep up with, as you said, the fast changing evolution of That's solar. True. And what are you going to do, right? Are you going to move your whole business? Because it's open, allows you just to drop things in and out as the times change, as your market changes as your customer changes. And that was really attractive to me. I just think that, you know, companies spend a lot of time and resources and investment in identifying and implementing the right technology to have that premier. Everyone wants that top-notch customer experience. And the problem is, again, not to circle around, but the problem is that these things don't talk to each other. And Enterflow fixes that. It's that simple. So it integrates the tools that you're already using. And then you can bring your existing tech stack, just brings it all into one easy to use platform. And through these robust APIs that they have built, it just really creates efficiencies, faster cycle times, and ultimately happier customers. So as you can imagine, there's no two companies that are on Enterflow that have the same flow, if you will, yes. you know. They're all different. It's all customizable. And I think that's something that the industry really, it's a 
critical component. I mean, there's other things I know we talked about on some of the other podcasts, like just getting permits faster and having, you know, a lot of municipalities and states realize that. I know C has been pushing hard to have same day permit. That will help as well. But if you don't have a good process, it's not going to help you. I mean, that's huge, really open source, considering like how the software suite and all these different things are changing. And then you want an easy experience for the customer and obviously internally within the residential solar company and then obviously financing and all these other things. That's really exciting. And that's great to hear that you're working on that. And it's interesting to hear the two founders and you know Enterflow. And it's amazing in a very short period of time to be able to do that much business. I agree. Pretty impressive. Like, What's your role at Enterflow? I know head of business development, but can you go into more? Sure. Yeah. I think that there's obviously differences between just straight sales and business development. And I think my background at IGS, which was a tremendous run there, really lends well to what we're trying to accomplish at Enterflow. So my job is just to bring partners on and show them the value and help them grow their business. You know, I think that's one of our key tenants is partner success and making sure that they're successful. If they're successful, we're successful. It's always been a mantra of mine Also, thinking about different creative ways to work with either it's being agnostic to finance parties or equipment, things like that. But how can we get creative in working with those folks just to get more people on Enterflow and able to see the benefit? And ultimately, the overarching goal of all of this is to make solar affordable for everyone. If anyone has followed me at all from all the times on your podcast. That was my tagline on LinkedIn forever. I believe everyone should have access to affordable green energy. So as you could see, like just the company that they built and my own personal beliefs and values, they just mesh so well. It's almost like I was there at the beginning. It's a, I feel like <laughs> I just, I feel really blessed to be part of it. And I'm really thankful that they brought me on board. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like an amazing opportunity and fits your personality so well. I enjoyed reading the press release that Enterflow made. And Spencer, actually, he said, which I relate to, Nathan is rad and an engineer that can network and sell. His vision of the future of solar and persona of someone has to do it. So it might as well be me is infectious and powerful. I feel really fortunate to have his leadership, creativity, and experience on our team. With Nate here in 2022 is going to be a really special year. And I think that's just like great with your personality and with your passion for solar and making solar accessible to everyone. And I think this is a great quote by Spencer in the press release. And I liked it because it's very informal, you know, and even Pat's will have actually in the notes of the podcast, the press release that Enterflow announced on January 18th with you joining them. So, and I appreciate like, obviously you being our co-host with this new opportunity and sharing it with us first before anyone else. So thank you. No, thanks for having me. And yeah, I love that it's informal too. I've been working with, as you know, because we talked about it, but just with, for lack of a better word, like LinkedIn consultant, just I knew I needed, it was time to fix my profile. It's been the same for so long. (laughs) And I knew I needed some help doing it. And she's been great. But one of the things that she brought up was the same thing. So I I love the website, how it's very informal, but it's, you know, professional. Again, like those are all the things that tie in, I think, with some of my core values. I always joke that ever since I got into solar, I stopped wearing a tie. Like I'm never wearing a tie again. <laughs> this is solar. 
I was actually lobbying in the state house this week and I was just in jeans. So I was yeah. like, hey, it's a solar man. <laughs> and this is the state house in Pennsylvania. Yes. Well, you should definitely stick with your mantra. And I think for you too, it's like simplicity and getting to the point, which is when you look at Enterflow's website, that's what's great about it. You really understand what the company is trying to do and their objective. It was very organic how I got there too. I wasn't looking for new opportunity. IGS is a great company with tremendous culture. I'm very grateful to have been able to work there for as long as I had and to not only for them to have the confidence in me to allow me to start the commercial solar and pivot out of combined heat and power and then eventually start the residential solar division and grow that to what it became was something that I'm very proud of. I'm never going to forget, that's for sure. I'm very thankful. But I was 98% happy, you know, and for most people, 50% is good enough. I think we talked about that at lunch, but I think one of the differences, that's probably on our Monday motivation, I think, Uh, you know, the difference between most people and the rare elite people is that 2% and really challenging yourself to get uncomfortable. I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and there's so much more I wanted to do within solar and wanted to grow something. I wanted to be finally be able to call myself an entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Silly as that sounds, it's true. And go through that, how scary is it? And we talked about this too. Man, I have a kid in college, two more young kids. My wife's a stay-at-home mom. You know, how do you leave a really good paying job and benefits and security of 401k? And I think that it seems daunting, right? Like it's a super challenging thing and scary. And now that I went out and did it, you know, as a 1099, it's really not, at least for me, it wasn't. And I'm super happy about so far where I ended up. I just can't wait for this year. I think it's going to be a really exciting year, but I guess I started a rabbit trail there. So to circle back, started talking to Spencer predominantly. And first I met those guys, like I said, in March, and I saw the gap right away because I wasn't even thinking about maybe I'd work here. It wasn't even a thought. It was, okay, I really like this software. This can do a lot of good things for IGS partners. How do I get IGS on the platform? And at that point, they really only had loan providers. And I just thought, man, if I can show a lease or a PPA deal next to the loan deal, there's obviously a subset of customers that prefer TPO or third-party ownership. Ownership, And I still want to debate some people about what's better, (laughs) (laughs) a loan or a lease, but they both have their advantages, right? Mm -hmm. And I just thought that it fills a need having a lease and to be on the platform like this that I think was solving a need and could see a real path to scalability was something that I wanted to be a part of and I thought IGS needed to be a part of. So we did start to integrate. The first integration will begin and finish in February, so right around the corner. And as we started talking to them, there's some other things that IGS is using the platform for, for just our own leads that come in through customers. And they do have some canvassers that they use to sell solar in markets that either aren't popular or we don't really have a lot of turnkey contractors selling there because it's just not compared to maybe a loan or just not a great market. Let's just say that. It's really tough to make the economics work for the customer with a lease. So IGS does some of their own sales and I saw how this could streamline the process. So over the months of just getting to know Pat and Spencer, I realized that how aligned I think I was with their vision or how aligned we were like 
without knowing it. And I was telling them what's really cool is when I started onboarding with them, they record a lot of their videos of like their meetings. So I went back and watched some of the old ones, which was before we were even real. I mean, I knew them and we were talking, but before we were talking about like, what is your vision for the company? What's your vision for solar in general? And where do you see this going? And like, wow, you know, Spencer and I would stay up late talking about this stuff because we're so passionate about it. And then to go back and say, wow, before I even asked them that question, they were talking about it on a company call two months before that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, not that I didn't believe them or I <laughs> yeah. came over, but it was just really cool. To, it's reinforced, you know, the thought of, man, I made the right decision. I think this is the spot for me. Yeah, there's so many things to unpack from what you said. One of the things is like, who's the ideal customer for Enterflow? You already kind of talked about it being basically residential solar installers. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say installers, sales organizations, Mm -hmm. anyone who can benefit from a more seamless process from start to finish for a residential solar system. I mean, obviously, not that we focus on this because we're hyper-focused on core and building that out, but just like the evolution of any other business, I think there's a lot of places that this can go. For instance, I mean, loans, a lot of times, even in for TPO, actually, I mean, a ton of our customers had new roofs. Mm-hmm. But when you think about solar loans, like almost goes hand in hand with for putting sure. a new roof on. I mean, Definitely. there's a lot of customers. I don't know the exact amount. I would guess based on my experience at IGS, it's over 50% in some cases of customers who put solar up are also getting a new roof. So, I mean, there's obviously that's like a really easy one, right? And then I know I was listening to one of your podcasts with a loan provider and they were talking about all the other things that they finance for home improvement that go hand in hand with solar, you know, whether it's windows or insulation or LED light bulbs. I don't know. There's a whole There's so list many things, things like energy efficiency, upgrades, electric charging, potentially electric vehicles. And, you know, it's interesting as well. I mean, people might not be aware. I know you've obviously been on like five of our podcasts, like the first episode, episode 20 that you did was about being an entrepreneur at basically IGS Energy. First, it was like CHP that you were basically starting and then you guys decided to pivot to solar energy, commercial, industrial, and residential. And then it's interesting to see now you've pivoted to working for a small startup company as a 1099 person, like to do something which is totally different being in entrepreneurship and being from a large established company to kind of like being in a place where it's extremely like flexible in the sense of there's no kind of rules or precedent. That was very entrepreneurial as well, but... You're talking about a company, Enterflow, that's only been around since 2019, where I just was right in the 1970s, I think, was founded or early 89. 80s. 89, sorry. I apologize. Still like 32 years, yeah. 33 years. And that's what I said. I thought it'd be a lot scarier and I found it wasn't. And for me, that's part of that 2% you know, that I was looking for is I always wanted to work for more of a startup, wanted to kind of own my own thing. I could have easily stayed at IGS and been very happy for a very long time, but I didn't want to look back 10 years from now like, man, I never did that. I always wanted to take a shot at it. And just that piece, I think, was very important for me. And regardless of how it works out, I'm going to fail forward if it fails. But you also never know what it's going to turn into, right? When I started IGS, I started there to help start up a combined heat and power division, which is using gas to run effectively big boat engines to make electricity and capture the heat and recycle it. So it's more efficient because one of the biggest waste products of making that electricity is heat. So if you can recycle it for the hospital, you know, you can ultimately 
lessen their heat load and they can save money on their total energy spend. So that's the concept. If you would have told me at the time that you're going to go work for the largest privately held energy supplier in the U.S., I would have thought you were kind of nuts. I'd have no regrets about it. It was amazing. I love the culture there. And it still felt like a small company in a lot of ways. And I think that what Enterflow has is something that is a very real need that I've seen for years. And frankly, everyone I've introduced to it has felt the same way. And when I first started learning about Enterflow, I was like, man, I have a lot of partners that would benefit from this. And I just started introducing to Enterflow mm -hmm. and Again, no thought ever that someday I'd be working with them, but just did it because I like to connect good people. I do it all the time in solar. I feel like that's kind of one of the things I'm good at. I'm just a connector, just a lot like you, right? The key, I think, to building relationships and reputation in the industry is just connecting people without the expectation of anything back. Just because it's cool and you liked it or rad, as they say, I was like assimilating to the rad. My wife's like, what yeah, is this? Sure. I hear it all the time now. Yeah, I can't escape it. <laughs> that's how it really started. And I think both sides, I don't want to speak for them, are like, man, okay, Nate knows a lot of people. And a lot of people agree, it seems, that this is really valuable product. And it's like whoever he introduces us to is super interested and wants to either learn more or ultimately sign up for this program. And again, it's self-fulfilling, right? It's just proving that the value add proved to me that there was a need for it. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to introduce this because I think it's cool. It doesn't mean other people do. And we'll see what happens. And everyone's like, no, that was really cool. Thank you for the intro. Like, oh, I signed up for it. I'm using it. This is the future of how solar is going to get sold. And you're hearing that. And it's like, hmm, yeah, I was on to something. Yeah. So then just learning more and more about the company and the culture. And I think it was kind of mutual. I don't feel like either of us solicited just over time. It's like, I guess it'd be like dating your best friend, maybe is a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. right? And then one day it's like, you just realize, you know, your best friends, you realize, wait, this works, right? It's kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know that they initiated or I initiated it. You know, I got off a call with Spencer once, just one of our sessions where we talk about, like, not even really Enterflow, just talking about the industry and my passion for figuring out solutions for low-income customers who I think are often left out of the energy mix when it comes to renewables and back to that core tenant of mine that everyone should have access to affordable, clean energy, especially the people that need it the most, that need the cheaper power more, right? Sure. That need greener power more because a lot of times they're using dirtier power. I got off the phone and Spencer and I were just, you know, we were just like ball of energy that feeds off each other. My wife's like, man, I don't know what you're doing, but you just feel like I haven't seen you yeah. like this energized in a while. That's when it hit me. I was like, I got to call Spencer and we got to have a conversation. I stopped believing in chance a long time ago. You know, I think people make their own destiny. I think we have these opportunities all around us and it's up to you whether you, sure. you follow it or not, right? I mean, sitting next to someone on the train, you talk to him. I met this guy on vacation. Oh man, it's probably been six years ago. And just randomly, I'm talking to him for like an hour at the pool. Just some random guy from Europe. And turned out he was like the sole distributor of turbines for combined heat and power for like oh, wow. all of Europe. And we still keep in touch. <laughs> that's like amazing. that's an opportunity, right? That a lot of people. So I felt the same way when I was talking to Spencer, like a lot of people were just thinking, yeah, that's cool. Like we had a cool conversation and they go on with their life. To me, I see there's opportunity in everything and it's just what do you want to gravitate toward? And I had some time to think about our conversation and my wife even noted it. Yeah, this is something I want to see if there's something more here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I noticed excitement as well. 
I know we spoke a few times when you were thinking about it. So definitely great to hear because you really have to be passionate about something exciting. It sounds like you're definitely going to learn a lot of things. I mean, there's so many things that you said that I think is so pertinent. One of the things like why I was talking about what you did at IGS before and now was for you to see like the transformation. Like You never would have thought that during that time, but it now makes sense after the fact. And it actually like got me to thinking about a quote by Steve Jobs. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You only could connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And that's what it kind of sounds like to me, like just hearing the story of like your career and then like looking now back at it, which you would have never expected that. I guarantee you like a year ago, you probably wouldn't have said I'd be at a software solar company. You know, you're 100% maybe even six right. months ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> probably six months ago. Or even I, less than I that. never would have thought that. You're 100% right. You know, I love quotes. I love that quote. I'm trying to get that you're quote trying in the Monday, to get, Monday I know. You already had a couple on there. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm definitely going to use that. It's very similar, actually, to one I recently used. Oh, man, it's probably in December or November. But it's from, a, I think, a Danish philosopher. It said that life must be lived forward but it can only be understood backwards, something to that effect. And uh, I totally agree. And, you know, in hindsight is something that I think, especially for people who are continually growing and trying to grow and push themselves to learn that they're limitless, right? You really are. And just keep pushing yourself. I think that just life has a different meaning. And obviously, when you look at things back, you can look at them multiple ways. Like you can look at them with regret, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, or you can look at it like, this is what led me to where I am. This is what I learned in that experience and how I'm going to avoid it or use it again. Or this was positive and therefore I'm going to keep doing more of it, right? I think just this thing that it's wisdom, right? It's what you get from experience that if I only knew then (laughs) what I know now kind of thing. And I get it. And it sounds crazy. And it's like, man, my parents were right the whole time. I finally understand what they were saying, like to have that experience that just life, general experience and hindsight really teaches you a lot. It definitely does. That's a great comment and feedback. There's a couple of things as well from what you said. There's so much innovation like happening in the solar industry. For me, it's exciting to hear you take on this sort of role because there's just so much innovation happening in the industry. And it's not just being with a developer or financier, EPC, but there's so many other companies in the value chain that are creating massive disruption and basically making green energy economical to everyone. So I think it's exciting to hear what you're doing at Enerflow. You also talked about low moderate income, LMI, which a lot of states are giving incentives. And something that I've been actually working a lot on with developing a project with the New York Housing Authority, we're going to give the solar to LMI residents and have also like workforce engagement with the New York Housing Authority. And it's a big sort of topic as well with you know incentives for the LMI. That's one of the biggest expenses an LMI customer has is their energy bill. And here you could get savings. You know, unfortunately, with the energy transition, with TPO and with uh, loan product, like you need usually a credit score of 650 or above. I know we talked about this before, but I think it's great that like products that you're working on will lower the cost of solar. And it's really these soft costs that we could really move the most, I feel, at this point. So... Totally agree. Yeah. And that's something that I put a lot of thought into because someone else I wouldn't have thought, you know, two years ago, like the cost of solar has dropped so dramatically. I mean, no one's going to predict there's going to be a pandemic, right? There's somebody right now, like, 
I knew there was going to be yeah, that's like in their buried school bus in the backyard somewhere. Most people wouldn't have have predicted there's going to be a pandemic that was going to squeeze supply chains and that was going to increase shipping costs. And now with what's going on with some of the modules, which I don't think you want to get into, but just getting <laughs> stuck at port because well. of supply chain, we'll just call it traceability. You know, we're seeing actual modules increasing for the first time, which is devastating to large projects like grid tied projects resi can absorb that but i still think like that's not quote elevated state and let's say they're what do you think they are instead of me i'm saying sure oh what the current uh, how much higher do you think they are oh they're definitely like 15 to 20 percent higher okay that's about what i was gonna say yeah so even with the let's say let's call it a 20 percent increase in panel costs you can still very cost effectively with a short roi or no roi if you do a lease because it's instant, you can save money in most markets, we'll say. The part of the, on the resi side, the expensive part, it's not really the panels. I guess labor is always going to be a component, right? Because you got to roll a truck for a relatively small system. But really, it's that customer acquisition cost. And part of that wrapped into that cost that I talked about in the beginning and I've talked about before is the really high cancellation rate for the industry. Some of it, sure, could be attributed to high pressure sales or different things like that. But ultimately, you know, the customer, it's because they're getting poached by another solar company, right? Because yeah. there's such a long cycle time. It's not like For they sure. wake up and all of a sudden they don't want <laughs> cleaner, cheaper power. It's because it took a long time and they had lots of time to Google other companies or somebody else approached them with a better deal or what have you. But if you can get those cycle times down, if you can get that time to glass on the roof and ultimately PTO down, that's going to lower the customer acquisition costs. You're going to have less cancellations. You're going to have happier customers. You're going to streamline the process. I mean, it could be a third of the cost. And then wrapped into that are very high, what I view as very high loan fees. I mean, upwards of 30% or more to originate the loan. The customer doesn't necessarily see that. But these are all costs over time that are going to have to come out Right, of the stack. And the industry is maturing, but it's still, what, 3% of single detached yes, family houses somewhere in there? such a still low percentage. So tiny. There are obviously some people that don't qualify, not because of they can't take the tax credit or yeah. credit score or something like that because they're in the shade or they face the wrong direction or who knows. So you can't obviously put solar on every house, I guess is my point. But there's a huge opportunity still that exists. And I think that it's pretty, I don't know how you could dispute now that that trend's going to continue of people adopting solar and residential solar, especially if you can keep those costs coming down. We'll see what happens with interest rates. But ultimately, I think we just need to keep chipping away at, again, that customer acquisition piece and cycle times. I mean, how low realistically can panels get? They can only go so low. As a leading authority in the solar industry, life gets very busy. In addition to traveling the world as a speaker and for my entrepreneurial ventures, I'm a son, friend, investor, and entrepreneur. And when it comes to delivering a great sounding show for my listeners, I choose Podcast Laundry. All I have to do is record and send and the rest is done. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, social media graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up your time to do more of what 
you love, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Yeah, I mean, I've probably maxed out. I mean, the efficiencies will continue to go up, but... uh, I mean, the efficiency will go up. But again, I think I talked about this last time. Only so much energy hits the earth in a square (laughs) meter. You could only get in the... Last time I said 30%, and and it's like 33%, 33.6. I feel like, oh, I should have gotten it right this time. Something like that is the maximum efficiency. And what I'm seeing is higher wattage panels, but they're just getting slightly bigger. They're not getting more energy dense. Like, even if you could hit that... We're pretty close, I think, with the current technology and photovoltaics of having basically as good as it gets. Like the cost of aluminum for the frame, assuming your panel uses a frame, is going to go up faster, I think, than the efficiency anyway. So it's like, what's your real efficiency gain? So, And when you look at, let's say, the average... I feel like the average number for Resi Solar, in my experience, is probably somewhere around 350 a watt. I think you can build it for less than two bucks all day. So that's where all those other costs come in. Okay, let's say your actual build cost is $2, which is generous. If the panels are maybe right now hovering around 50 cents, use a round number, you know, there's a lot of other costs still in there. Again, that doesn't count your customer acquisition costs. I'm just saying your installed cost. There's other things. I don't think inverters are necessarily going to get any cheaper. So again, full circle, what are you going to do? You're going to have to have a better customer experience, right? You need to make it easier for customers to sign up and to buy solar. That's where Enterflow comes in. That's the piece that's needed in this industry to get residential solar into that early majority, right? And eventually over the hump where it's kind of just expected. Everyone that has solar availability on their roof, you know, good solar access, not shaded, has solar. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you mentioned, it's all about the soft cost and Enterflow's, you know, technology helps in that and it's a huge benefit. So that's exciting to hear about that. I know you talked about this before, but it would be great if you could talk about what are like res trends you're seeing in residential solar. Yeah, I guess since we're on the topic, I'm seeing a trend toward loans for sure. You know how I feel about a large TPO company. So obviously I'm very biased. To me, you got to have both products. Let's just start there. Because otherwise you're like having a car dealer and only doing leases. Like that doesn't exist for the most part. So you need to have both because there are going to be people that gravitate toward one or the other. Some people don't want to deal with the maintenance. Some people want the security. Some people just don't want to put any cash out. Some people don't have the tax appetite, right? So they want someone else to own it and then it's actually cheaper for them. But I have no noticed a trend toward loans. I think there's a few reasons for that. Some good, some maybe not so good. Obviously, one is low interest rates, right? I mean, longer terms, like we used to compete, you know, with a 25-year lease, we'd compete against a 15-year loan term, and now there's a 25-year loan. So So it's matching the TPO term. Which makes it less expensive on a monthly basis. So there's that. I think also maybe some of the not so good one would be if you're an installer or sales organization, you can charge more. There's no guardrail. So it's not the same guardrail. You can charge it for $4 <laughs> a watt if you want or $6 a watt, which is well above what the actual cost is because you're selling probably to an uneducated customer and they don't realize there's choices out there and you're selling it. They're not buying it, right? And this is something I'm really passionate about. Like, I think we need to get to a point, you can buy a car online, you can buy a mattress online, you should be able to buy solar online 
And I think it was the first one. I haven't listened to the first one we did in a while. Yeah. And I remember there was the first podcast I did, excuse me for being there. We were talking about, there was an article that came out. And I'm not 100% sure. This is my recollection. And maybe it wasn't the first one, maybe it was the second one. But at one point we were talking about, there's an article that likened selling solar door-to-door to selling vacuums. And I was like, this is absurd. Like you have to buy a door-to-door, right? Because I mean, it's a very intimate sale. It's something that's going on your most expensive asset, your home, and you don't own it a lot of times, or you do own it either way. It's a massive purchase. Forget all that. I was wrong. <laughs> I was late. <laughs> they were right. Late to the, yes, for sure. We had a debate about this. You have because to go I was on the consumer. other. Yeah, I was about direct consumer. Yeah, you have to, and no one's figured it out. I think for Tesla sure no tried, yeah. but I don't think they tried hard enough. I think that's going to be the future of solar. We'll see. That's not a trend, but I think that, that is actually a trend, right? Direct to consumer online. That's it different be. from what you're saying. I think eventually that's going to happen. It's just there hasn't been the platform to make people comfortable. I wouldn't be surprised like if Amazon yeah. is selling it over time. I think Tesla will eventually focus on it because they have the most sort of market prestige. But I just don't think like Elon or the team is focused on that. They're focused on other stuff. But I think eventually. That's that what it feels like. Yeah. So I guess just to wrap up loans, like the other nice thing with a loan is that you have the ability to finance other products like we talked about, whether it's your roof or insulation. Because you don't want to go like go solar and then have an energy inefficient house. I've never heard that term. You know, it's usually <laughs> energy efficient. But you know what I mean? We talk about this every time. Maybe I'm just not close enough to it. I like your perspective on this. I expect to see a continued trend in community solar, but I just don't hear about it as much as I thought I would. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's a necessary component because like we talked about, I don't know what the number is. I've heard so many, let's just say 50% maybe of home single detached family units. Let's say 50% of total homes because there's apartments, there's townhomes don't have solar access for whatever reason, or they're shaded. You know, you don't want to cut down grandma's oak tree. (laughs) Could be a lot of different things. Or there's low income folks that just can't get solar on their home for whatever reason. So community solar is, I think, a good part of the solar mix. So I haven't seen as much as I think, but I still do think it's a trend. I hear a lot of talk about it. I just don't see it a lot. What do you see? Am I wrong? Am I just not close enough to it? No, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think community solar is definitely a trend. It'll definitely continue to grow. I think you make a great point. Like, For the LMI community, low moderate income, community solar is a great way of them saving money. It's basically a credit on a bill from the solar project in the utility service territory. Politicians love it because it's giving equal access and it's helping, you know, it's a great thing for them to talk about. There's like a couple of states, obviously, that have community solar legislation, like Pennsylvania. Well, New Mexico just recently passed a program and there's some other states. So I think it's going to grow. But it's taking longer, I think, than we expected because you need state legislators to basically pass legislation. And it's just taking longer because that process in general, and to get educated about community solar, to educate the utilities. The other thing that we mentioned as well is that there's not a unified voice within the solar industry when yeah. it comes to lobbying. So you're having the community, solar community, utility scale community, the residential community message the politicians and not on a unified front. So then it creates like confusion from the politician's perspective. But I think definitely community solar is going to be a huge trend. It's just going to take a lot more time for it to be in all 50 states. That's what I think. Yeah, I totally agree. So, and I don't know if that's a good thing for you because it seems like I'm wrong a lot on your show, but at least I can admit it. (laughs) 
I was wrong about the ITC. I was so oh, super. Yeah. I thought that was a win for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> actually, we had like a long discussion about the ITC. We were actually going to the Giants game, stuck in traffic. And Nate was telling me how like the ITC was going to be passed. And I told him, no, it's not going to happen. But I was hoping, obviously, that it was going to happen because that's huge for our industry, you know. Maybe but I'm just too optimistic. <laughs> I was more negative on the politics around it. Unfortunately, like solar just makes a lot of sense. But unfortunately, it's become a politically divisive issue, which is really unfortunate. I think over time, like the economics are just so strong that no matter what people are trying to do, not have solar, it's going to be the cheapest source of new energy. And it's continuing to get cheaper as time goes on. And you're working on that by lowering the soft cost. And the other thing too, like localized energy for a residential customer, that's an immediate cost savings that they're getting. If like the utility allows a utility scale project, the customer is not really seeing an economic benefit from that. You know, it's really like if it's a community solar project or if they get residential solar on that, they're getting immediate savings to their electricity bill, which makes a big difference. And it's green as well. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of advantages, I think, to distributed generation, but that's a whole nother. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother. We, yeah, we'll save that for next time. <laughs> Let's have some people on. We'll debate. And then, again, with my track record, it should be an easy win. No, for but there's been a couple of guesses. I like you making bold predictions because not everyone in the industry is doing that which I appreciate. You're passionate about your points. You're not playing it safe. You know, sometimes everyone's saying the same thing, like there's a group think that's going on. I don't mind well. being wrong. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> most of the time. On the podcast, it's okay. You know, uh, so. yeah, you could change your mind. And it did ultimately get extended. And it might get extended that's true, again. That's true. It might come back. If you look at it from that perspective, yes, that's so correct. So I was yes. just a year late. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we've talked about every podcast. Again, like it's hard for me to gauge batteries and I have really mixed feelings. I think they're super important, obviously. I don't think we need to get into it because we talked about it. You can listen to episode 100. I just think it's not for most people. I don't think the cost value, it just doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons I don't get into. But I think the other trend that we've learned, right, is that solar is not going away. Through this pandemic, it's been remarkably resilient. Like the fact that installations and total installs are still going up and even total solar deployed throughout the country is still going up and you're seeing states adopt it more and more through different policies. I mean, still, you're always going to fight with utilities over net metering. But I do think that in overall, the industry has proven that it's super resilient and which I've always said, like, there's a trend, I think, especially as millennials and younger folks start having home ownership, the trend's just going to continue that people want access to you know, just like uh, they don't use plastic shopping bags anymore. You know, it's the same thing. I appreciate it. You know, that's why I believe in solar, because no matter where you fall on climate change, I think we all agree. I mean, it's impossible to dispute that the earth is definitely warming, but whether it's man-made or not, you know, or I'm going to fall, so we won't get into it. Either way, like, what is the downside of renewable energy? You have all the energy you ever need coming from the sky, yeah, right? <laughs> I sure. mean, talk about- It doesn't make any sense, right? Right. And it's cheaper. I know. I think there has to be an energy mix and we have to be smart and thoughtful about the grid of the future and what does that look like and how do we incorporate existing infrastructure and, you know, all those things. I'm not against any other technology. I just think that distributed solar asset on your roof 
makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of rooftop that you can cover with solar and have pretty inexpensive energy. And I know like, you know, somebody on the grid side would say, yeah, but it's so much more expensive. We're working on it. All right. It's a work in progress. Hopefully two years from now, we're sitting here talking about, can you believe the cost to get solar installed now is less than $2 yeah. for residential solar? And that's very attainable when you cut out some of these costs. Yeah, for sure it is. I mean, if you look at the LCOEs in other countries, like in Europe and Australia for residential solar, it's just crazy to me how like the soft costs have added so much cost to U.S. solar and, you know, that a lot of these costs could be more efficient or not needed. So Yeah, and one of your, as you know, I was listening to your podcast on the way in. We met. We're in person. We're in person. Like last time. Yes. That's how I like to do it. And uh, In Bethlehem, PA. We meet halfway, yes. And we found our little studio here. And on the way in, I was listening to one of your podcasts with, again, with a loan provider. And we were even talking about a little bit in the pre-interview is how solar used to be considered a risky asset. So I think in a lot of ways, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on residential solar loan and all the costs that go into it. But I do know that it's very expensive to originate a loan. I think part of that reason must be because it's considered a relatively risky asset class. And as he alluded to, that's going away. And you're seeing very big banks step in and get more involved in solar and even buy some of these loan companies that was just announced this week. I saw it publicly, so I won't say who it was, but yeah. It was public. Okay. Well, you can talk about it. So yeah, Dividend Solar, Eric White, the CEO, was interviewed on the podcast and it was bought by a major bank. I'm totally blanking out. Fifth, third. Yeah, so I think now it's getting more mainstream and you're going to see lower and lower. I mean, you already have low interest rates, but I think there's going to be lower barrier to entry through lower fees because it's just going to be easier and easier and people are going to roll it into other things. And obviously, I mean, where I will agree that I do think a loan has an advantage over TPO, if you have a super reputable contractor that you trust, does a great job because you own it and you probably don't know anything about solar. So you don't know if it's working how it's supposed to be or, you know, other than your local AHJ who may or may not inspect it. You just don't know a whole lot about it. But if you have a reputable person and if you use you know, a home equity line of credit or refinance or even a local bank or credit union, you can often get, you might have a slightly higher interest rate, but you're going to have very low origination fee. Another piece of that is just less reliant on the sales rep who often get very high commissions for these things that the customer doesn't see. And when you add those two together, and I've done the math many times, I could break it down if you're interested, but it can be like 50% of the cost of your system. So if you think the average system's 35 grand, somewhere in that neighborhood, total cost, I mean, obviously it depends on size and other things. That's a lot of money in origination fees to have a solar specific loan and to pay someone who effectively knocked on your door to sell you solar. And that's why I think, and I've said this before, I believe, fundamental belief of mine, you're probably never going to convince me otherwise, right? It's just something that I believe is that those costs will eventually go away. The tipping point's going to be when people start buying solar instead of being sold solar, meaning they don't need someone to knock on their door like, hey, did you hear about this new thing called the sun and you can (laughs) turn in energy? Instead of that, it's like, oh, I'm going to go online. I'm going to actively look. And I know Tesla had a lease product there for a little. and I didn't understand it. I knew just it seemed to me a ton of respect for that company, but it just 
seemed to me like it was off. Like there's no way this is going to work and it was gone. And now they have another product. I guess what I'm saying is if you just pay cash on their website, and I know people have done this, you can get your system for less than two bucks a while. You can do it. And why? Because there's no sales rep, just like their card model, right? And there's no loan origination fee. So when you do that, and then you get 26% back from the federal investment tax credit, now you're starting to get really compelling to put solar on your house no matter where you live, because that's a really low cost to enter and to own your power. So in that regard, in I guess in that case, it's not a loan. Straight out cash purchase is the best. And I think over time that we're going to see the industry continue to evolve and there's going to be, you know, different shakeups and how loans are done and underwritten and how people ultimately buy solar as opposed to being sold solar. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I totally agree with you about that. And I think I agree with you as well. Like it's been pretty amazing to see how the solar industry has continued to grow during the pandemic, even with challenges with meeting with customers and customer acquisition, supply chain issues and disruptions. But I think in 2022, that eventually the supply chain issues and the cost issues are going to impact the US solar market when it comes to, as you mentioned before, grid tide or utility scale, because these are very tight margin projects. You know, and when Nate's talking about 50 cents per watt for a module. I mean, it was at like 30 cents or even lower. And now that really takes out all the profit for, you know, the developer of the project. So I think this is probably going to be the first year that we're going to see maybe a decline because of the cost of solar increasing. But for residential, I don't think it'll have as same of an impact, but the total overall solar market. All right. I'm going to (laughs) say... I agree with everything you said. I know you always have to agree with me because you're the host. I'm just the (laughs) co-host. I don't always have to agree with you. But I do agree. I would make a friendly wager that deployment of solar will increase in 2022 over 2021. Just total solar. Oh, total solar. I agree it'll go up in resi. And I agree there's definite projects that are going to get stranded. I'm not that close to them, but you're 100% correct. They can't take that. And they probably bid it with even a lower panel cost in mind when the project was being developed because they saw the prices going down, 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 down. Interest rates are going down. Now they're going up. Those are some headwinds. But I think ultimately the adoption of solar will outpace those declining costs. Interesting. That's great. That's what I think. I hope that's true. So now we have it on record. We have it on record, yes. All right. Next year, when we do this, the loser's buying lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm I'm the loser in that respect. We'll see. I don't know. I don't even know. I might change my mind tomorrow. I'll be like, dang, I'm going to start saving for lunch now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But... I don't know. We'll see. It seems like with all the headwinds, especially like who knows what's going to happen with Build Back Better. And there's all these other things. And obviously, as the time of this podcast, which is what the 27th of January, the stock market's getting absolutely crushed. And, you know, technology and solar stocks are probably some of the worst performers there. I still think that you're going to keep seeing year over year growth in solar. Mm-hmm. Just you know, it's just very regional too. And I just think there's, for all the headwinds, there's a lot of tailwinds as well. Has there been a year where solar's actually declined? No. So your prediction sounds bolder than mine. I'm talking myself into my position. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really thinking about whether it's possible or not. It could happen. Yeah, of course. Anything's possible. But yeah, it'll be fun to see. I do think 
residential will continue to increase, especially like California is an enigma to me. We need solar on all new home starts. Okay, we're going to charge everybody $500 US solar, whatever it is. It's like, yeah, yeah, make up your mind. It's like, we want all electric vehicles, but we don't want you to charge your vehicle. (laughs) It's It's frustrating when I hear like the policy and sometimes there's policy that's done to like not help the solar industry. And it's just confusing to me if that makes sense. So I'm wondering whether politicians are looking at it in totality. I mean, I just talked to a bunch and I think it's just, I mean, obviously, look, there's super smart people. It doesn't seem that complicated, but we're in it. So to us, it's like super simple. But they're getting hit with like, you imagine all that talk to someone about solar and two seconds later talking to somebody about healthcare. Or, right. There's just so many different things that you got to be the jack of all trades, you know, and even when you think they grasp it, it's hard. And then the fact, like you said, when you layer on that everyone in the solar industry seems to be lobbying for something yeah. different, they're probably having the political podcast somewhere. I'm sure there's a billion <laughs> of them. They're like, I'm so confused with solar. It just doesn't make sense. I had this guy come in and tell me this. And then this guy came in uh, and said yeah. that. <laughs> You know, I don't know what am I supposed to do. I'm just going to do this. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, going back to that, though, that ties right into the trends. I mean, obviously, there's this, like, renewed trend toward electrification. Like, everything is smart this and smart that and interactive and... EVs and we have a really aged infrastructure of the grid, right? Just like roads and bridges. I think it's pretty common sense. It's obviously on the drive here, that's for sure. (laughs) But we have really old infrastructure and, you know, we got to be smart about how we're going to make this happen. If Tesla and Ford and, you know, go down the list, all these car manufacturers, you know, the ones that have gas or go to all electric, like a lot of them are planning to do, or just you see like the popularity of Ford having to stop pre-orders which is, where are we going to get all this power from? I mean, right? No, definitely. I mean, it's a lot. And it's funny because, again, when I was talking to these politicians and just because it's anecdotal, you know, we were talking about these charging stations and how as part of our dinner conversation, like how brilliant it was, Tesla, like we're just going to put all these charging stations in, build it and they will come, right? And I remember passing these things and I'm like, oh my word, there's like 20, because we're on the East Coast, right? In California, you probably have to wait in line. But here, you would pass these charging stations, and there's no one, not the case anymore. And, you know, I have a plug-in, so I'm not full electric, but I'm tried. I talked about that in the last podcast, but I got what I could find. And I'm going to miss when I can't get the premium parking spot. Because right now, like usually you're right up front because you got the plug-in, you know, as long as you can charge, you get a better parking spot. But I'm noticing when I was in Ohio recently, I was really excited because I had my plug-in hybrid and the hotel I stay at has a EV parking spot and it's always open right up front. And this particular trip, I get there and there's two per level of this parking garage. I want to say there's four levels. And I was there for two, three days. And almost every time I had to park on the top level because they're all full. I know. It just like overnight, Overnight. it seemed like, I'm sure you've seen it probably before I did. I mean, now I live in uh, Harrisburg, Hershey, PA area. It'd be rare to see a Tesla. Like, wow, that's a Tesla. Like, cool. You know, it was like kind of novel. Now they're everywhere. I don't even (laughs) notice them anymore, right? So it's wild how that works, but I will, like, I'll miss the fact that I'm going to not get all the premium parking because you always have that EV charger up front once there's this wide adoption, which seems like we're already getting to that point because I'm seeing the charging stations and everything get more and more filled up. Yeah. You know, I think the big point of what you said is that 
electrification of the grid is happening. It's going to happen faster than we all expect. And there's not enough energy and infrastructure out there. So what that will lead to is like obviously higher electricity prices. We're already seeing electricity prices starting to go higher. And it'll be interesting to see because obviously solar is going to be more beneficial as the cost of electricity. We're seeing natural gas increase in price, which is basically a lot of natural gas plants are in the US, which is creating higher electricity prices. So it's even more of a reason why to go solar. So that's interesting that you provide that. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, energy prices are going to keep going up just in Pennsylvania. I think just in the last month on December 1st, they went up more than 30% across all the utilities, some cases even higher for the supply side, which is probably tied to higher natural gas because was at a historical low. Yeah. But in the decommissioning of different things, and we're going to need to keep coming up with energy somewhere. So hopefully I win the bet and <laughs> there's more solar. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're going to start experiencing blackouts on the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And I think it's interesting too, as well, when you talk about politicians as well, I think, you know, existing industries that have been extremely successful are obviously using special interest and lobbying. So it makes it challenging for the solar industry because we don't have the funds to be able to lobby, you know, politicians to policy that would help us. So that's definitely like, you know, I appreciate the work that you're doing because it all starts local and building those relationships with the politicians and educating them so that you could be a trusted resource to them. Because I think it's confusing to them when different people in the industry are telling them different things, which I've experienced as well. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing on the lobbying front. Thanks. I mean, I do it because I think it's the right thing to do, right? You talked a little bit about the Monday motivation. It's now like a podcast. Can you tell our listeners who we call Mavericks about it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was you that originally said I should turn my weekly whiteboard quote into a video, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So that was almost a year ago. So that would have been when I was on for the hundredth episode. That's right. Yeah. It's because I'm on episode, this Monday will be 49, I think. It's been fun for sure. And then you introduced me to Nico at Suncast and he had suggested that I turn it into a podcast. And which the difficult part of that is finding background music that's not licensed, you know, because otherwise you can't put on YouTube or anything. So I started doing that and yeah, I just turned it into a podcast. So it's just, uh, you can find it on iTunes or Spotify. I got to work in getting it into like Amazon and a few others. I'm not quite there yet, but you can get on Spotify or iTunes. Yeah, I just take my video from LinkedIn and turn it into two-minute Monday Motivation podcast. You know, your weekly dose of Monday Motivation. So go ahead and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. If that's your thing, if that's how you want to listen to it. I think this last week's quote was, the price of excellence is discipline and the cost of mediocrity is disappointment. I've been waiting to use that one for a while. <laughs> uh, and I tied it into some of the events that as I always do, that were current in my life. And it's been really fun and it's really still just a hobby. It's amazing what it's turned into though. And I do get a lot of enjoyment out of doing it. And I'm glad that even if it's one person, there's someone out there listening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's been really inspirational and I learn as well and also get reinforced and reiterating on you know points and things that are happening in your life, but also impacts everyone else's life. Everyone's kind of gone through those things. And I like that you keep it fresh with taking quotes and then really translating it to your life because I think that's what you know makes the Monday motivation special. So 
Thanks. I appreciate that. Anytime. I mean, you're a great co-host. I'm excited about it. <laughs> it's going to stick. <laughs> yep. I'm sure people are, get tired of hearing me all the time. Nate, this has been an amazing podcast. I appreciate you and everything you're doing. Congrats on the new opportunity at Enterflow. What's the best way for the audience to connect with you? 100% LinkedIn. I respond to pretty much every LinkedIn message. That's impressive. Yeah. And I'm always willing to take a call with somebody. Obviously, if you're an EPC, you're someone out there that's selling solar and you heard some things that like, hey, you're right. I could fix that in my process. No one's process is perfect. Please reach out to me. Love to give you a demo and show you what makes Enterflow so great. I'm sure that it's something that will not be a waste of your time. So feel free to DM me, Nathan Giovanelli or at Nate Jove. And also I'll be at uh, Renewable Energy Plus in Boston on the 23rd of February. Anyone who's gone, you know, again, drop me a line and you can do it on LinkedIn or Nathan at Enterflow.io. Love to meet up, talk to you more about it, or we can just grab a drink at Harpoon at the happy hour. I'll be there as well. Sounds great. I appreciate that, Nate. And we'll have that as well in the notes of the podcast. And thank you again, Nate. This has been a great conversation. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.